So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, if you'd either click to, turn to, we're going to be in a couple of passages this morning. We're going to talk about, we've been talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, let me give you the scriptures. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And then we're going to be in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, uh, our points are going to come out of Matthew, uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And so we're going to look at this issue. Well, we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been taking a word every weekend, which in, in some of the words are challenging. This word is not only misunderstood, but is challenging for us not only to understand, but in many respects to, reply, to, to apply to our life. And so we've been looking at the fruit of the spirits. Uh, and so let me, let me just read them so that we, we remember, the, <coughs> excuse me, so that we remember them once again. Verse 22, Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Here's the word we're going to look at today, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, there's not a law against goodness. There's not a law about being too good. There's not a law against faithfulness. There's not a law against joy. There's not a law against patience. There's not a law against kindness. And so we come to this word goodness, and when we look at this word goodness, I mean, it's not one of those, it's not one of those flashy words of the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's not, the fact is, I, I've never heard anyone come up to me and say, you know what I need? I need more goodness. I need more goodness in my life. A lot of people will come up and say, you know what? I need more love in my life. I need, you know what I need? I need patience. I need kindness. I need, I need more joy in my life. So we come to this word goodness, and it's not one of the words of this list that like jumps off the page. In other words, it doesn't create a lot of excitement when you say, you know what we're going to talk about? We're talking about goodness. That's what we're talking about for the next 32 minutes. We're going to talk about this issue of goodness. Because when you look at this issue of goodness, what is best or what is good depends on who you ask in our society, right? I said, I'll never forget, uh, we were still living in Houston, Texas at the time. It was the early 90s. Our girls were young. Uh, SeaWorld uh, opened up in San Antonio, Texas. And so uh, we thought we'd do a vacation, and we, we'd take a few days, and we'd drive to San Antonio, Texas, and a lot of my family is from there, and that we would experience and let the girls experience uh, Waterworld. So we went, we spent two days at Waterworld. I mean, we experienced everything, we took part of everything, we watched shows, we rode rides, we did all the stuff that you do at, at Waterworld. And it can be quite expensive, right? And so we did that for a couple of days, and so after our vacation, we're headed back. Excuse me. We're headed back to Texas. I'm at back to Houston, and on our way back home, I just simply ask a question. The girls were in the back seat, and I simply ask a question. I said, "Hey, girls, what was your favorite part? Right? What was your favorite ride? What was your favorite part?" And so Amanda was like instant. She's the youngest, and Amanda was like instant. She says, "You know what, Daddy? I love the train ride." That was my favorite part, the train ride. And so we'd spent two days in the park, and it was hot, and things began to blur, if you've ever done that. I mean, it seems like all the rides run together, and it just seems like a blur chasing kids and, you know, looking at Shamu and all the other stuff that comes with that. And so, but I was perplexed because I'm like, I don't remember a train ride. I mean, I remember a lot of rides, don't remember the train ride. So I turned to Amanda and said, train ride? I don't think there was a train ride. She said, yeah, Daddy, there was. We rode it a couple of times every day. She said, you know that train that would pick us up at the car and take us to the front gate and pick us up at the gate and take us to the car? She says, that was my favorite part of the day. I'm like, really? We could have stayed home and rode Metro? 
And so, so what is good and best depends upon who you ask. And so if you ask a lot of people in society now, right, and ask them what is the good life, what is, what is goodness, what does it mean to be good, what does it mean to have the good life, then they tell you a lot of different things. For some people, it's just feeling good. I mean, it's a hot tub, it's a back rub, uh, it's a vacation, it's an experience, it's something that for some people, the good life is simply this, it's just feeling good. Others, it is like, it is like looking good. I mean, that's why our society spends billions of dollars in, in plastic surgery and clothes and all these other things, uh, because they have come to the place to believe that the good life is in the way you look. The good life is in the way you present yourself. For them, the good life is like looking good. And then, then for some, some will say, well, you know what the good life is? It is like, it is like having the goods. I mean, it, the good life is wealth and prosperity and, and the toys and the things that you're able to accomplish, the things you're able to afford. The fact is, here's an interesting quote. Robert Quillen said this, and it's amazing, the date is important. He said this all the way back in 1928. He said, the American way is using money you, you haven't earned to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. He said, that is the American way. He said, that is the American way. We just spend money that we don't have buying things that we don't need to try to impress people around us that, you know what, if we're honest, we don't really even like them. But for whatever reason, we're trying to impress them. So for some people, when you look at this issue of goodness, it is either having the goods or, or, or feeling good or, or, or looking good. But, but the Bible says it has nothing to do with that. The fact is, the Bible says it is not about having the goods or looking good, but it is about being good and it is about doing good. In other words, the Bible connects our words with our actions. It connects everything together. When you, when you look at this issue of goodness, goodness motivates a person to attempt to do what is best for another. In other words, this, we, we may look at this word goodness, and we may substitute some words in it, right? Uh, we may say it's, it's, it's character, uh, it's integrity, it's kindness, it's caring about somebody else around us. I mean, the Word of God says that, that a spirit-filled Christian should be a, a good person. In other words, this, if you've ever been around a good person, you know this, right? You can trust your reputation to a good person. You don't have to worry that they're going to gossip about you, slander you, treat you in an improper way. Then, in other words, you could take, you can trust your reputation to a good person. You can trust your lives to a good person. You can trust your children to a good person. You can trust your emotions to a good person. See, the world will tell you this. You can be great at what you do. You can be successful at what you do and not be a good person. In other words, as long as you have enough talent, as long as you have enough ability, as long as you have enough charisma, that all of a sudden, even though you're not a good person, they will excuse that away. Why? Because of your talent, because of your ability, because of things that you can do. I mean, some of the most powerful, talented people, beautiful people in the world who have ever lived, when you look at their lives, are really not good people. Talented, yes, but not good people. Talent, success, abilities, can, listen, can mean little if you're not a good person. Man, we hear people all the time, especially in our society and our culture, say they're, they are a talented individual. They're just not a good person. And our world tries to separate someone's performance from someone's goodness. And the Bible says that you can't do that. And so we'll say things like, he or she may be a 
he or she may be a good, a good athlete, but they're just not a good person. I hear that a lot with the Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> I, I used to say, I know, this is just for free. Uh, I used to say when I die that I want the Cowboys to be my pallbearers at my funeral so they can let me down one last time. Uh, I no longer say that. Because you know what? They will figure out a way to mess that up. They will drop the casket. They will stick me in the wrong hole. They'll take me to the wrong funeral home. They will figure out how to even mess that up. So I no longer say that. That's just for free. That's a rabbit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you know what? We, we, we say, you know what? He or she may be a talented manager, may be a talented boss, may be a talented CEO, just not a good person. I mean, we separate if we're not careful we separate someone's words with someone's actions, but the Bible never does that. In other words, you know what we're, you know what we're really saying? As long as, as long as they benefit me, as long as they help me, as long as they're talented and gifted in what they do, I will turn my head to their goodness. I will turn my head to the where they're not good person. And can I just tell you this? That will always burn you. At some time, it's going to hurt you. At some times, they're going to betray you. At some time, at some point, they're going to turn on you just like they turned on someone else. And see, in our society, and see, I think this is what makes this word so hard to preach. Fact is, when I looked at this list and I looked at this word for the first time, I said, this is the one in this series that is going to be the most difficult to preach, the most difficult to get people to understand, because our society has conditioned us to believe that you can separate someone's actions from someone's goodness. And we've come and built this false belief that says that their goodness doesn't matter as long as they're gifted at what they do, as long as they're talented at what they do. Then as a result of that, we will turn our head to whether they're a good person or not. So this word goodness, we need to understand what, what Paul meant by this word so that we can understand it. Because Paul would say this issue of goodness is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life and, and working in my life. And, and so, would, so, so God always connected goodness with actions. You can go all the way back to Genesis when God created the world. And each day after each day, he, he created light. He created all the things. And, and he'd end the day and say, it was good. It was good. It was good. When he created man, when he created woman, he, he, he changed it. And he said, and it is, it is, it is very good. In other words, what he was saying is, he says, it was the right decision that led to, to right actions. In other words, this word goodness literally means uprighteousness. It means uprightness. It means to walk rightly before God and before man. Goodness, when you look at this word, is a moral characteristic. Goodness dispens, depends in res, defined in respect to God's estimation of what is good and not our estimation of what is good. So goodness is moral integrity. It's obedience to God's will. Is submissive to his authority. Goodness is, goodness is who we are and how we act. In other words, this word goodness is closely linked to purity, generosity, forgiveness, and grace. When you look at the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the one that told us that we are called to participate in God's own goodness, not simply as a recipient, but as, as a giver. Fact is, Jesus, Jesus himself, connected this word goodness to actions over and over and over in Scripture. In just a few minutes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a verse, it's something that Jesus said. It's a famous verse. People use this verse 
use this verse all of the time, and a lot of times they are unaware of the context in which this verse was written. In other words, let me just read the verse and we'll back into it. That may be the best. So here's the verse, Matthew chapter 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your, your master. In other words, when you, when you look at the context, do you realize the context of this passage, the context of this parable was talking about stewardship. How do you steward the resources, the time, talent, treasures, the resources, the blessings that God gives you? How do you steward those things? Jesus tells his parable, his parable of the talents. And this master, this, this landowner, which represents God, the servants represent us, this master was going away for a period of time. He gave one servant one talent, one servant two talents, and then one servant five talents. He came back later to check on them. Two servants stewarded the resources, the blessings that he had given them well, and there was blessing on their life. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, that statement was only reserved for them. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will give you much. One didn't steward it so well. And there was a different word for him. This is called the parable of the, uh, of the talent. I mean, ha have you ever borrowed something from someone? Has someone ever let you, like, list, lived in, in, like, a second home, a vacation home of yours? Uh, ha have you ever borrowed someone's boat or car, a lawnmower? Have you ever a house set for someone? Isn't it true whenever you borrow something from someone else that you are more conscientious? In other words, you want to you return it better than the way you found it? I mean, isn't that something true about that, that when you borrow a tractor, a lawnmower, a boat, a, a car, that you'll wash it, you'll clean it, you'll fill it up, and all of those other things, because you want to you wanna return it better than you found it, because you understand that, you know what, I am not the owner of this. I mean, this is not mine, and it's because of their grace, it's because of, of, of their givers that they allow me to use this. And so there's two types, what Jesus said, there's two types of servants. There's one that stewards the resources well and one that doesn't. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you just a really quick story. It's a true story about my brother. Uh, my brother, Garrett, in 1996, we started the church in 95. Garrett was struggling with his call of ministry. And so he called and said, hey, I'd like to come to Pueblo. I'd like to live with you guys if I could. And I would like to, to like, for free, be the student pastor and, and the singles pastor and help you start the church. And so we said, well, you know what? I think we can afford you. And so come on. And so Garrett, Garrett came to Pueblo. He lived with us. Uh, he did student ministry. He did singles ministry. And then there was a family in our church, and they were going to go away for an extended vacation. And they were going to go away for like, for, like, two weeks. And so they called Garrett and said, would you mind house-sitting for us? And and uh, we have this cat, and this cat is really old, and the cat is going blind. It's kind of hard. It's hard of hearing. And so we need you to take care of the cat. We need you to don't kill any of our plants, right? you got to water the plants. And if you'll take care of it, we want you to live in our house. And it was a great house. And so, so Garrett said yes, and I set Garrett down and says, you know what? Don't mess this up. Do not mess this up. I mean, you have to leave the house better than you found it, right? Because it's by grace, and it's a blessing that you get to live there. And so Garrett said, sure. He says, I'll take care of it. Well, Garrett was, was there for about a week. And then I get a call one night from Garrett. And Garrett's like, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, their cat got out. I was going back and forth to the trash. The cat got out. The cat ended up in the street. Um, There's a ring. Someone rang the doorbell. It was a neighbor, knew the family, rang the doorbell and said, we're so sorry. Your cat got out. 
and we ran over it, uh, and we killed it. And so, so Garrett's called me. He's, like, pretty upset. And so I asked him just a simple question. I said, so what did you do with the cat? How have you responded to this? And he goes, oh, that's easy. I put the cat in a plastic bag and put it in the freezer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I, I think I misunderstood you. Did you just tell me you put the cat in the freezer? He goes, yeah, don't be ridiculous. I didn't put it in the one in the house. I put it in the freezer in the garage. I go, oh, that makes it better. And, and so I said, can I ask you a question? Why did you put it in the freezer? He goes, oh, that's easy. In case they want to give the cat a proper burial, when they get back, the cat will still be fresh. I mean, they can do that. And I said, I, I think a better option would be for you to call the family and let them know what, what happened, right? And so I, I kind of doubt it when the family returned that they said, well done, good and faithful servant. We'll let you watch the house again, right? This is, this is the parable. This is the parable that Jesus is talking about. Jesus always connected our words with our actions. He always connected this word, this word goodness is so deep. He always connected the, the, the two together. And so Jesus connected our goodness with, it, with our actions. And, and uh, in fact, here, here's, some, here, here's some verses. This is what it said of, of Simon Peter when he refers to conduct and action. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 24, for he was a, here you go, for he was a, he was a good man. Can I just stop right there and just tell you? Our society doesn't buy you that, right? You know what our society values? Talent, ability, performance. One of the greatest compliments you and I can ever receive is someone tell you you're a good man. You're a good woman. I can trust my reputation with you. I can trust my life with you. I can trust my... See, our world, this is why this word's so hard to preach. That's why this word is so hard to understand, because our world does not value that. We're willing to turn our head to goodness because of what you can do for us, because how you can benefit us. <coughs> for, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. <coughs> Second Peter 1.5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue is just another word for goodness, and goodness with knowledge. 2 Thessalonians 2.17, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. He connects our word with our actions over and over and over in Scripture. You cannot separate the two. It's impossible. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no variation or shadow due, uh, uh, due to change. Acts 10, 39, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and with power. He went about, watch this, he went about doing good. Again, connecting conduct with actions and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. In other words, Jesus Christ always did the right thing for the right, for the right reasons. Goodness is excellence. It's virtue. It's, it's outstanding moral goodness. It's excellence of character. It's, it's a character trait that is highly esteemed by others. And others, others people recognize It's qualities of integrity and honesty and loyalty and courage and, and a sense of honor and humility and modesty and all of those other things. It's what gives a man or a woman great worth is what Scripture says. 
It, it, it's this issue of, of living an effective Christian life is to possess this issue of goodness. And so, so Micah 6.8 helps us to understand why we should desire to live good lives, <coughs> why it's so important that we would live good lives. So here's what Micah 6.8 says. He has told you, oh man, what is good. So here we go. He gives us three things, and then, then we'll go through these things, and we'll close. And what does the Lord require of you? Here's the first one, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, in this verse, it's the most concise definition of goodness that I believe you and I can find in Scripture. And it gives us three action points, which is helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you to answer the question, why should we desire to live good lives? Why should we live and have and possess this issue of goodness? The first one is this. The first reason that we should want to live good lives is because you're looking in. The reason that we should desire to live good lives is because you're looking in. He uses that phrase, uh, but to do justice. Listen, you and I will never have inward peace. We will never have inward joy. We will never have inward tranquility until we have goodness in our life. You know why? Because we know what we've done. We know what we've said. We know the decisions we've made. We know the words that we've used. We know the choices that we've made. We know our actions during the week. Listen, you and I, unfortunately, one of the reasons we desire to have good lives, if you want to have peace, if you want to have joy, if you want to have tranquility, is guess what? You're looking in, right? You know you better than anybody else. In other words, when you look at this, you know yourself. And so you may be able, listen, you may be able to deceive others. You may be able to, to, uh, to deceive me. <coughs> I may be able to deceive you. But one person you will never be able to deceive, and that is yourself. Why? Because you, you know you. And see, here, here, here's the problem. We know us. We're the ones that are looking in. We know what we have said. We know what we have done. We know our actions. And you cannot run away from, 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 from yourself, right? You can leave town. You can hide. But guess what? You have to take you with you. You can never get away for yourself. I mean, you know this, right? And one of the reasons it's so important that we desire to live good lives is because guess what? Man, we're looking in. We know the words we use. We know the things. Have you ever? Man, do, this is just rhetorical, right? Not answer it out loud. Have you ever been? on the way to church and use words you should not have used to a spouse or to a child, then you come into a worship service and it was kind of awkward. You're not the only one. I've done that, and i got to preach. You know the most difficult times for me to ever preach are those times during the week when Karen and I have had a, a conversation. <laughs> right? You cannot separate your conduct from your actions, your conduct from your words. Man, you know that, right? Have you ever been in a worship service? And all of a sudden you're worshiping and you're not, you know, you're, you're focused on the lyrics, you're focused on the words, and then all of a sudden God brings to remembrance a word, an action, something you've done, something you've said. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, one of the most important reasons, I think, is the reason that we should desire to live good lives is because you know you. You know the things you've said. You know the things you've thought. You know the decisions you made. You know the choices you made. So one of the most important things for us, if you want to have peace, if you want to have joy, if you want to have tranquility, it's this issue of goodness in, in, in your life. And in, in Acts 23, the, the Apostle Paul, 
he actually, he, he did the right thing. He did what God had called him to do. He preached the gospel. And as a result of that, here's another reason why we, 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 should, we should honor goodness. And so all of a sudden, this group of people gets mad at him. They bring charges against him. They spread lies about him. They misjudged him. They mischaracterized him. All of those things. And they bring him before the court. And he has to give answer. Uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 1. And he says, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. In other words, what Paul said, when people were falsely accusing him, when people were falsely making accusations against him, when people were judging him or mis misunderstood him, mischaracterizing him, all of those other things, you know what Paul was able to do? He was able to stay, stand with confidence. He says, guys, I, I need to let you know, I stand in good confidence. I stand in good confidence up to this day. I have a, I have a good conscience. The definition of conscience Paul gives later in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, he said, so I'll always take, take pains to have a clear conscience. Here's the definition of a clear conscience towards both God and man. I'm in right relationship with God. I'm in right relationship with my fellow man. I have no, I have no offense towards God. I have no offense towards my fellow man. In other words, to have a clear conscience, we have to be in right standing to our fellow man, the people around us, and to God. In other words, a, a, a clear conscience is this issue of our relationship to God and our relationship to others. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. In other words, what he says is when, when people don't have a good conscience, when they don't have goodness in their life, there has come the place that they have, they have, they have shipwrecked their faith. They have walked away from the faith. They have like bailed out. In other words, people found out how they, how they really were. A good conscience is this. If you knew me as, as I know myself, you would still respect me. In other words, I've lived my life with transparency. I've lived my life with authenticity. I've lived my life transparent, vulnerable, authentic to people, uh, both man and both God. And like, like Paul, even when you're misjudged, even when you're misunderstood, even when you're falsely accused. But if you have a clear conscience that you are, you know, there is no offense towards God and my fellow man, then, then you can stand with peace and you can stand with confidence. In other words, you could live life in such a way that you don't have to worry who you run into. You don't have to worry who you see. You don't have to worry about that awkward conversation because you know that I stand with a great, with, with a clear conscience. In other words, there is great freedom in living a life with a clear conscience. I mean, when you look at Paul, Paul was in big trouble. He was possibly going to prison. He could even be put to death. But Paul was able to stay, stand with confidence because of the issue of his, his conscience. I mean, let me just tell you, a clear conscience removes fear, and a bad conscience causes fear. A good conscience, your actions towards God and man, it removes fear in your life. A bad conscience, it creates fear. You know why? Because you're wondering when you're going to be found out. You're wondering when the shoe is going to drop. You're wondering when something's going to happen. You're wondering when two different people talk. You're wondering about that. I mean, this issue of, of a clear conscience and a bad conscience, it causes fear in your life. That's what happened to Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and it says that they, they hid themselves from God. That's the reason a lot of people, I believe, hide themselves from God. That's what keeps some people from church. That's what keeps some people from reading Scripture. It's because this issue of this conscience, your conscience was placed there by God 
to either accuse you or excuse you. Your conscience cannot make you do right. But it will show you what's right and wrong. So the first thing, the first reason that we want to live good lives is because you're looking in. <coughs> the second reason is because, because people are looking on. People are looking on. You're looking in. You know your life. You know your actions. You know your words. But then also people are looking, in, looking on. To, do, to, to love kindness is the phrase that Micah used. In other words, to love mercy or to love kindness is to come to this place to where we freely and we lovingly and willingly show kindness, generosity, and forgiveness to others. Not only are, are, are we looking in, but, but people, people are looking on. In other, words, in other words, wherever you are in life, you have influence. And people are watching you. People are watching your behavior. And you have influence. It may be with children. It may be with grandchildren. It may be in a community. It may be with people... <coughs> It may be with people that you work with. It may be with patients. It may be with customers. But when you look at it, you have, you have influence. Every one of us has influence. Fact is, in other words, this is our, our testimony. This is our, this is our reputation. This not only goes for churches. This, goes for, for indivi- this not only goes for individuals. This goes for churches as well. You realize that the Fellowship of the Rockies in this community has a reputation and we have a reputation of goodness that we care for this community, we, mer- we, we minister to this community, but do you realize it goes even outside farther than just Pueblo, Colorado? Um, just, just a little bit. Uh, Friday, well, let me back up. Gateway Church, uh, I started a relationship with them in, in 2007. If you don't know anything about Gateway Church, they're just a small struggling church in Dallas, Texas of about 40,000 people. Yeah, yeah, pray for them. And uh, Pastor Robert Morris happens to be their pastor, and, and you may have seen him or heard from him. And, and so, <coughs> excuse me, they know of Fellowship of the Rockies. They know of our reputation and the things that God has done in Pueblo, Colorado through Fellowship of the Rockies. And so on Friday, they sent a, they sent a film crew here, and they spent 45 minutes with me. That's when I lost my voice, just too much talking into a camera. Uh, and and then, then Saturday night at the 5 o'clock service, they had their, their film crew here. They filmed our worship team and, and our worship service and some people coming in because they want to tell the story of Fellowship of the Rockies and what God has done through Fellowship of the Rockies in Pueblo, Colorado. This, this issue of the reason that we have goodness individually or collectively as a church is because guess what? People, people are looking on. People are looking at your life and people are looking at my life. The, the fact is, here, here's what Simon Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then 1 Corinthians 8.13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In other words, Paul says, I am not going to do anything that causes somebody else to stumble because I understand people are looking on at my life. The third and the last thing is this is the reason that we live good lives is because God is looking down. God is looking down. It says to walk humbly with our God. To walk humbly with our God means to walk in conscious fellowship that we're always in God's presence. Uh, Galatians 6, 8, and 10, the scripture says this, and not, let us not grow weary of doing good. It's possible, right? It's possible in the society and the community in which we live just to get tired of, of and just to get weary of doing good. 
especially when you see the talented and, and the gifted that it seems like, you know what, they are not good people, but our society separates the two, and it seems like they get all the promotions. It seems like they get all the blessings. It seems like everything works out well for them. And Paul is saying, he's speaking into the believers, and he says, he says believers, he says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if, man, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. In other words, that, that he, he's calling us, that we're to do good to everyone, but especially to those in the household of faith. Because we're in the same family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and all of a sudden Paul says there's something different there, because we're one, we're united. And so there, there are times, there are times that we can walk through life and we can grow cold, or we can take things for granted, or we can come to the place to where we just get weary in doing good, and the path to goodness is always going back to him. The path to goodness is always going back to Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5 tells us about this issue of gifting or the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, do you know how to, how to be good? And it's your conduct with your, with, with your actions. I think, listen, I think the greatest thing that someone could ever write on, on, on my tombstone or on your tombstone is simply this. He was a good man. She was a good woman. That's why we desire goodness. Goodness brings blessing in our life. Jesus ended that parable in Matthew 25, 24. He says, He also who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, and he said, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. An unhealthy view of God will keep you from living the good life of knowing that he is a good, good father and that he can be trusted. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?